Welcome to another episode of Small Council Radio, where we discuss all things A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game by Simon. Tonight we have with us Dakota from Roll 'em If You Got 'em. How you doing, Dakota? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you want to take a minute to tell the listeners about uh, your content creation, what you guys do, who's involved, and uh, where they can find you to give you some support. Sure, absolutely. So we mostly do podcasts, so we actually haven't released an episode for in a little bit. Been pretty busy. Um, and then we also, you can find the um, dice trays that Carl makes, who actually um, does a podcast with me, um, on our Facebook page. It is Roll If You Got um, Message us through that if you are interested. Carl does awesome work with those dice, dice trays with um, the epoxy. Yeah, Carl actually made my uh, Night's Watch dice tray, and he was able to customize it to match the the green that I used for my Night's Watch. So it's uh, it's really cool, really nice, really, really good quality, and very, very reasonably priced. So we've also got uh, Justin and Chris with us as well. Tonight we're going to be doing kind of a, an overview of the tactics board, uh, depending on how much time we sit here and chew the skin with each other. We'll, uh, we'll see how much we can cover, but we want to basically cover the, the tactic zones, what, what each of them does, when it's useful, um, what you normally see in round one, and then maybe after that, we'll give you some ideas of how you can kind of shake things up a little bit, maybe catch your opponent off guard with some of the board play. And uh, then if we've got time, we'll start to cover some of the uh, particular factions and what zones they want and how you balance that, uh, that fine line between claiming a zone to boost your tactics cards or do you go for the zone that makes the most sense. So I guess we can get started with, uh, obviously, you, you know, it's the crown, the money bag, the letter, the free combat zone, and the... Um, and then the maneuver zone. Uh, I guess to start off, uh, we'll go over everybody who's their uh, favorite. What's their favorite tactic zone? Um, mine is the letter. Um, not just because I'm a Tyrian player uh, a lot of the time, but I really like the letter for the condition token. And I think every single army does better when they have cards. Um, I just find it to be very, very useful, whether it's to get some of your bad cards out of the way so you can get to your good cards later in the game when the game's on the line and you really need them, or if it's just if you're, if you're searching for that one card that you need that round to make a big play, uh, you know, the letters is a, a very good way to do that. So uh, on to you, Dakota, our guest. What is your favorite zone? Um, my favorite zone generally would be the letters as a Baratheon player going for it. Um, but other than that, I think the maneuver zone for getting the free retreat maneuver, um, adding some board space, creating maybe a dynamic play um, with retreating out when a, your opponent might not have been expecting, you know, a key retreat happening um, can really make the difference at times. And then for you, Chris? Well, as a offensive-minded guy, I'm always a big fan of the combat zone and usually take it even when it's not really the most optimal thing to take that. And then I like the maneuver zone because most of my free folk and Targaryens like that zone. So those are my, usually my two favorite. Ironically, you chose the two zones that the, uh, 
that the Starks need to boost their cards. And it's it's just kind of funny because prior to the show, we were talking about some of your relative dislike for the Starks. But uh, just kind of funny. But uh, uh, what about you, Justin, uh, Mr. Neutral Player? Well, as a neutral player, I have to like the male. Even not as a neutral player, for the same reasons that you said male is always my go-to. It does kind of suck taking it in the beginning of the round, though, because that token is potentially getting wasted because they'll just heal it off. But uh, all the neutrals' best cards proc off of uh, the the male. Uh, and then I take the money a lot as neutrals, but truth be told, it's not my favorite spot to take. I just need it. Uh, next favorite would... Eh. Probably attack because of how much I use Bastards Girls. Usually I get to attack and I'll just maybe shift up two and then I'll actually use their activation to shift up another two and shoot so I get better charge. Okie doke. So, obviously in round one, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit. I think more often than not, with some exceptions, uh, scenarios like Dance with Dragons, maybe some other scenarios where you want you maybe you have a slow army and you want to get your your tank unit onto an objective outside of that more often than not in round one player one is going right for the cards uh they're going to pass out the condition token then like justin said a lot of times the next move is to the money bag to remove the token and then maybe you go for the crown or the maneuver zone but it's pretty rare except for maybe in fire and blood or if you're playing call drogo to see the combat zone get taken right away, obviously, because you're not in range for attacks. There are exceptions, but uh, I think for the most part, for myself, and, and I'll ask you guys as well, but uh, if, if the scenario is not something like a dance with dragons where I have to get my commander to a token first, uh, I'm going for the tactic zone. Uh, and I, that's, I think that's probably going to be pretty much everybody's universal answer. I know when Cersei existed with the old panic rules, it was kind of worth it a lot of the time to just go straight for the, the Cersei crown bomb as your very first move because if you if you made them fail and did enough damage uh, with old panic rules, uh, they were almost obligated to take the bags or they were in danger of losing that unit to the next Cersei crown bomb the next round. With the change to panic being only D3 plus one, uh, if you go to the crown first, they're going to be able to heal all but uh, all but one wound at max. So I haven't really seen anybody take the crowns very first. Uh, it's been since the panic change, I haven't seen anybody do it. But you would occasionally see the Lannister player go for it in round one. I think sometimes you see some Baratheon Stannisides take it. Uh, I would assume that they would prefer to hold off till the end of the round. Um, but... I mean, Mel is fully capable of doing 11 wounds to someone taking the crown, so maybe it's with Baratheon sometimes. It's it's actually interesting that you mentioned Melisandre because I guess that's another exception that I, I, I didn't mention. Maybe if you play Melisandre, your first move might be to do Melisandre's sacrifice ability, force the panic test, and then go straight to the bag very first so that you can heal your own unit up, and potentially you've done up to seven, then you heal your three back, and it's basically like a ten-wound swing if you're able to take the bag straight away. But uh, uh, Dakota, what about you uh, as our guest? I know you play a lot of games. You have you and Carl tinker around with some, some uh, different lists, so maybe you guys have, have come across maybe some different ways of, of approaching the game. You guys are 
constantly experimenting with stuff. So what's, what's your take on it? Honestly, the, the, the opening moves generally are going to stay the same, even though we experiment a lot. It's either you're taking the tactic zone to draw yourself cards, or you're almost taking it to deny cards from your opponent. Um, the, with it though, I mean, I really like, you know, obviously you, you know, having that, you know, combo in your NCUs, uh, with doing it and just making sure you're getting the right tokens out, you know, to feed what you need to do either like Picel double weakening or, you know, using Axel to get an extra panic out if you're running Mel, um, that that's the most diversity. Usually round one, it ends up being pretty straightforward, even when you are tinkering. And what about you, Chris, uh, our resident free folk player? Are are you, are you still going for the tactic zone as a free folk player, or are you kind of leaning into the, the maneuver zone first, even if uh, you don't necessarily have to have it? You know, the last couple games, I've thrown people for a loop. I've actually, like, went to mail first, but I usually very rarely will ever take a list that doesn't have Val in it. So even if I do lose the maneuver zone, I can just cheat and use her to get my maneuver that I need, even though it won't get me, like, the card bonuses. But And usually I'll throw her onto, what is it, the crown, because I don't use that for anything really ever so she's a nice one just to eat that spot so it's hard to talk about the tactics board without uh bringing up um depending on who you talk to it's for a lot of people it's going to be somebody that uh is absolutely hated but uh we have to talk about Varys. so uh Varys is obviously pretty popular justin you run him a lot playing neutrals i mix him in some of my lists I was running him with Night's Watch a little bit, kind of went away from that. I was running him in Starks, and I pretty much always run him with uh, Tyrion. I don't mix him into my Sparrow Lannister list, though. But when you're, when you're running Varys, does it kind of change that mentality? Because I think, just like Chris mentioned, it's, a lot of the times it's because you don't want your opponent to pull the cards either. So when you have Varys on your side, do you feel confident enough going for that uh, – going for the maneuver zone or maybe even going for a, a panic bomb to soften them up a little bit, knowing that you can cancel their heal uh, with Varus or potentially cancel their card draw. Uh, specifically first round. No, I don't want to waste a token on something that I can deny with an NCU. It's only got four tokens and averagely you're only going to get three that succeed. So I first round, the most optimal thing is to not use a token from me unless it's like super important, obviously. Um, like if they have a replacement NCU that you know they're going to pull something sneaky with or something. Um, but no, I would I would much rather shut off the ability. I guess a lot of times I use Peter though, so I can easily deny a board slot and still get what I want. Um, that's just my opinion on it though. What about you, Dakota? I, I guess I didn't go into when it benefits me strategically. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, I, I've played around with Starks a little bit. So there is benefit if I've uh, pulled a sudden charge with my first hand. There's benefit to going to the maneuver zone very first, and then I can Varus if my opponent you know, goes for the letters or whatever I think he's going to do. It does burn a Varus token, but I have, the, I have control of the maneuver zone, and then when I play my sudden charge card, I'll get the vulnerable token from it. Um, so sometimes I guess Starks might be the exception there. Um, 
you know, making sure that you have the, the maneuver zone because that vulnerable token is really, really important mm-hmm. with the sudden charge card. It's what, in my opinion, makes that card way over the top, but that's for another day. But No, yeah, uh, so, absolutely. So go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I honestly, I don't take Varus that much. I, I kind of don't like putting him in the list just because he generally doesn't synergize with what, I, you know, the combat units I like to bring. Um, I really like to just like tune in on the faction and go with him. Um, usually though, um, if I do bring him, I'm, I'm using him to just deny, you know, tactics cards um, and just waiting for those key moments where I know that my opponent's going to go first and they're going to go for that combat zone, which could either kill my unit or, um, you know, put them in a position, even if I hit heal, it, it's not beneficial. So using him, I just wait for the key moments. Um, and then against him, I'm looking to do everything I can to get those tokens burned early, even if it's replacement effects or going for, you know, zones that you wouldn't think you'd go for. Maybe like uh, using like a Shira to heal in place on the wealth zone, you know, for whatever reason, if my opponent thinks that that's necessary to do to use one there, um, just basically to try to get them burnt as quickly as possible. And I'm I'm pretty sure you don't play Varus, do you, Chris? Maybe when you you play a little bit of Baratheon, don't you? I very rarely use neutrals in general. The only time I really use them is Storm Crows and with the Targaryens, because I'm a very thematic kind of guy. And then usually when I play Free Folk, I can't take them anyway. So usually half the time I'm list building, I forget they're even an option after making so many Free Folk lists. Okay, so I guess the last thing to cover with round one, um, generally it's one goes to the letter, one goes to the bag, removes the token. The next person, they take maybe the crown, maybe the maneuver zone. It's pretty rare to see the combat zone get used. But speaking, um, I've been playing a lot of TTS, obviously, so I've been playing in the mixed metas. And something that I've started to notice, and, and maybe it was just – not this way in my meta. I was not seeing a whole lot of ranged attacks for a long time. And then now um, playing a, a lot on TTS, I, I'm starting to see them a lot more often uh, in, in a lot of lists, actually. Uh, trappers are generally seen, but I'm starting to see a lot of Stark Bowmen. Uh, Lannister Crossbowmen have, have come back as kind of almost in every competitive Lannister build. Uh, and the Builder Crossbowmen from the Night's Watch are being used a lot, uh, the occasional Stormcrow in a Baratheon list. They obviously don't have uh, they've got the Lightbringers but they're kind of just teased rules and uh, Mr. Chanel has advised us against using those right now because I can't remember what exactly he put but he said that uh, we shouldn't be using them as they were leaked but with that said there's maybe there's some merit to using that combat zone or taking the combat zone to prevent that ranged attack uh, in a mission where you're opponent can potentially march up and then take combat zone last and get a free shot. Uh, is that something that you've seen? Because I, I know I often leave the combat zone open if I can, but um, that, that potential shot is a little bit scary. Yeah, that's definitely something that I have also seen. I know for a lot of the lists I've been bringing, um, I didn't incorporate a lot of ranged at first, but now it's definitely more of a, if I don't, if I make a list that doesn't include some sort of ranged, I don't feel like it's a great list. Um, even if it has other decent merits, 
um, just being able to have that, you know, extended, you know, reachability to utilize that tactic zone earlier. Um, Cause there's been a lot of games where, you know, you see the storm crows out there and they can take like two different zones to even make an attack and you just get drawn in too, too close and it can pile on them to kind of become devastating. Yeah. So with the, the primary NCU, particularly on, on TTS with the, some of the more, I'll call it the more competitive meta, the guys that are playing to win more often as opposed to just playing to try out fluffy lists. So you've generally got three NCU on three NCU. As a person who brings ranged attacks, um, are you thinking in, in your head that maybe it's a good idea, even when zones are open, to activate pass and NCU so that you've got the chance to go claim the swords or maybe you put pressure on your opponent to claim the swords and waste that zone. Obviously, if they've got a replacement type with Eldon, Essermont, and Craster being very popular choices, they don't really mind covering up swords and just, you know, replacing the zone and getting whatever effect they get out of it. But in the cases where that doesn't exist, I, I can see activate passing with your second NCU so that your last NCU is guaranteed to get a spot. And if they don't claim the swords, it could be the spot that you plop on and take that free attack. It could turn into that uh, last action of the first round, first action of the second round, double shot kind of situation. And they're both coming from the tactic board. So that's obviously a spot that nobody wants to be in with panic being so punishing the potential to take two volleys and potentially fail two panic tests is very, very hard for a unit to come back from. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, Justin? You play Bastards Girls a lot. Is there, is there, you, and you've been tinkering around with the three NCU. Is, is that a thing that you consider doing and activate pass to kind of leave the swords open in your opponent? If they're, if they're wise enough, they'll respect the crap out of those Bastards Girls, so maybe they kind of waste their, their activation claiming the swords. What, what do you think about that? No, so far I can't say that I've uh, I've thought about that. I think there's merit in it, but uh, the only time I like really overextend bastard girls because of how vulnerable that they can be uh, is when I know that I have a cool method in my hand. So uh, even if they block it or I want them to block it, I'll march the bastard girls up knowing they're safe or whatever the case is, knowing that I'm going to get a free attack in that next round anyways at the beginning. So I guess maybe neutrals don't have to worry about it too much, but I think there's there's absolutely merit in it. Uh, you just have to play it smart, and I think that's going to be a case where fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, twice shame on you. And then uh, what do you think, Dakota? Yeah, I. Um, it's kind of sometimes easier for me to go for the activate pass because if I'm bringing you know, a Baratheon list that has a Mel in it, I generally am not activating her. She's my last activation. Um unless, you know, some other things happen where I need to activate her. Um, I generally try to have her go last um, just to put a little bit more pressure on there and then to get more units into position earlier um, for one I want to do. Does it usually work out getting the combat zone? Maybe not, but um, it's definitely a tactic that you can leave open to get some more attacks out there. That's actually a really potentially devastating combo in round one. If you mm-hmm. manage to get uh, Crow Archers or something up and mm-hmm. you activate Mel and do the sacrifice and then you make a free attack on the same unit, that could be really, really, really nasty, actually. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's good merit to taking, taking Mel as the last action, uh, particularly if you know that you're going 
first in the next round and you've got the chance to double tap with Mel, but we can probably have a whole, whole long conversation about Mel. She's probably the only NCU that's hated more than Varys and Wolver. So <laughs> it's kind of like the big three of, of everybody hates. But uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, uh, you have the potential to use the Jarl to bring a unit of trappers behind and then potentially drop Steyr on the swords and bring out a free devastating attack from those trappers. Uh, what are your what are your experiences with that? Is that something that you'd have work out for you? I guess basically that this conversation is kind of is there ever a time that you're using the swords in round one, except for maybe in fire and blood when you're so close? The only time I'd really use swords in round one is if usually if I'm replacing something. Usually I go for maneuver with one NCU and then use a val or something on the swords just to get that extra out of my guys. But usually my the short range doesn't really help in most of the stuff. And then I don't use Jarl as much, so I don't really get that benefit. Well, I've actually seen him. He's kind of uh, been... He's been being used quite a bit more, even in some competitive games. I think, I think before he was considered a little bit uncompetitive, but with Steyr being able to influence a ranged unit, uh, I could definitely see it being very problematic if you, if you bring on a unit of trappers, and if they put two and two together and realize that the trappers haven't activated and the swords are open, they can take the swords and do the D3 free wounds from Steyr. Potentially you're in their flank or their rear, and then when they take that second shot with their activation, it would be another D3 wounds, and that's incredibly devastating uh, just on its own, forcing those two panic tests at minus one or minus two, depending on where you're able to drop them for deployment. Uh, they can pop up uh, maybe behind a Stark Wolf. The Stark Wolf can't really turn around and charge them uh, because of the danger of Steyr doing D3 auto wounds, so it's not like the Wolf can really intercept them and like, well, I'm safe, you know, but... Uh, Something I would actually be interested in experimenting with myself, uh, you're kind of putting them out there, but it is an insignificant unit, and you could cause massive damage. I've seen, I've seen the Jarl be used you know, in round two or whatever, and, and once engagements have happened, and then he pops up behind them, and it's, it's actually really, really nasty. Uh, trappers become incredibly deadly at that point. I've actually monkeyed around with a list of very similar concept, except Evangel with the Spearwise and doing that kind of sequencing. Minus you don't get the insignificant benefit of the trappers or their um, the traps special rule, but the thinking was along those same lines as you described. It's, it's And that's really not a bad idea because even more so, I mean, I know the trappers can take their six shots at you, but the, with the Spearwise, you, you've got to be really, really afraid. You have to turn around. I mean, I know it's a four-point unit of Spearwives with a one-point attachment, but you have to turn around and, and do something about that unit if they deploy in your rear because when they charge, they've got Thundering in the rear or in the flank. It's a minus two, maybe a minus three. Vicious D3 wounds from Sire. It's a really, really, really nasty combination, actually. Yeah, if you can take that swords in the, at the end of round one, throw your spears at them and then, you know, you have turn two to go first and you get a charge right off the bat. You know, you can really hurt whatever 
unit that is. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I could I could see it working out. Because um, yeah, like I said, they have to they have to recognize the threat. The maneuver zone is gone if you've deployed the jarl, and so they can't turn around for free. So they're going to have to spend their activation to turn around. Or yeah, like you said, they're they're probably toast. I mean, it's not they're not the exactly an offensive juggernaut, but minus three to defensive saves, minus two to the panic. The threat of Steyr is pretty substantial. It's not anything that I wouldn't want any of my units taking that. So, um, but I guess we can move on. So it's, I think it's pretty hard to really discuss and say like, well, you're always going to do this in this situation. You're always going to do that in that situation. So I think we have to kind of move into a general uh, topic of conversation with the tactics board kind of after round one. Uh, obviously, it's going to depend on what you have going on, what your cards are, what what's available to your deck, and uh, and then you have to kind of make some decisions at that point. So there's no real, like, universal answer to what zone you take in every single round. But uh, I think for me, unless it's greedy, I'm really card greedy. I like to have as many cards as I possibly can to get the most out of my deck and my units because I try to build, I try to select my units based on my house deck and my commander's deck. And then I, I, I choose those first and then I build the list around what I've got working for me. So it's very rare that I'm not thinking about going and grabbing cards. Um, even if I'm engaged and the swords will probably be taken my taken by my opponent, even if I don't have Varus. There's a lot of times where I kind of just really don't care, and I go for the cards anyway. The thing is, when you go for the, the tactic zone, you do get to hand out a condition token. So oftentimes it's worth going and grabbing the letter and weakening whatever their strongest unit is that's engaged with you so that you've got a chance to mitigate that attack. Now... Of course, if I'm playing free folk and they've got a giant engaged with me, I'm, I just can't, you can't leave the combat open in that situation because they, they hit on twos. Uh, same with Unsullied. I'm not giving Unsullied a chance to take the combat zone and swing for free because I can't weaken them. So there are some exceptions. You're not going to leave the combat zone open. But a lot of times for me, it's, it's definitely worth it to claim the letters from getting their cards hand out a weakened token to whatever I'm the most afraid of and know that the money bags are open if they claim the combat zone, if things go kind of badly. Uh, what do you think, Justin? I, uh, again, you play neutrals a lot. Is that It might be the Tyrion in me that's saying, go for the letter, go for the letter, go for the letter. Is that something that you consider too? Because your cards become exponentially more powerful with the combat zone or with, I mean, with the tactics. Yeah, it's something that I want all the time, but I can say for the most part from the, the list I use, I can't, even with a weakened token, usually like shrug off a free attack. Bastard girls and cutthroats, they don't shrug things off well at all, even like with a weakened token. Unless it's like a unit that has like four attacks because it's really weak or something. Um, if I have Flademan on the field, maybe, but I also have horrendous luck, so I don't really like pushing it. But I need the letter. Like, it's so crippling when I don't get the letter. But if I can keep getting it, then I just keep cycling through cards, and they, they help me a ton. They heal me. They block things. They do more damage. Uh, they discard my opponent's cards constantly. Uh, it, it, it really just depends on the situation. If it's something that I can, 
I can shrug off. Like, if it's Bastard Girls that are engaged, and I know that they can't do enough wounds to take me down to four uh, models left, then yeah, I will I will almost certainly chase the male. But I find myself late game struggling a lot because it's very hard to take the male with the faction. What about you, Dakota? Am I... Am I the, yeah. the one that, you, that's crazy here? No, I mean, I'm I'm also card-hungry when it's necessary. The last few games I've played, I've been more of a, you know, I've been playing some Starks, trying to get in there, you know, sudden charge early, you know, try to cascade some stuff. And then I run out of cards, and it's like, I wish I had just taken the cards and then, like, waited on that move for, like, my next move. Getting, uh, uh, just being card-greedy is really great, and then, you know, even from a Baratheon standpoint, everything good that you're going to do is really coming off that tactic zone. Um, and then even with it, just denying opponents cards. I mean, I know you're like, you're saying you're card greedy. Well, if I give you that zone three, three rounds in a row, that's probably not great for me. So that kind of goes into it too, is almost like, what do you want your opponent to have? Um, but with that, you know, I always, if I know I'm going to have to go for that tactic zone or want to go for it, I'm trying to get some units in position to, if, my opponent can't, you know, doesn't want to take the combat zone that I can use the combat zone either through a ranged or through some other means, you know, just trying to like balance it out a little bit. What, what about you, Chris? Do you, how, how highly do you rate the letter? Is it something that you consider uh, blocking your opponent from getting cards slash boosting your deck and, and taking the, Weaken token or whatever token you might need. Maybe it's a panic token for you. Um, As Justin what are, what are your on it? testified to, I don't usually remember to use the my cards in general. So taking that to get me more is usually very low priority on my list. Like I said, I'm more offensive like anywho. So <laughs> if ever the options there and you know there's a chance I can make the charge, even if it's a bad one. Like, I'll go for that. Well, we, we kind of touched on Varys for his board manipulation, but I think it's worth mentioning some of the other NCUs that are really good with the, with manipulating the board. One of them is a little bit more common than the other, but I think I'm a little bit disappointed in the uh, the lack of Alistair Florence. Um, he's a really good NCU. I kind of wish he had maybe three order tokens, not sure if that would be OP, but he is a really, really cool NCU, and he is like the undisputed champion of secret missions, right? Because you can you can bump your opponent off the zone that, that they've claimed to stop you from scoring three points, and he's kind of like an NCU that gets you three points really easily from those missions. Um, but additionally, for, for a guy like me, it's like, well, I want to go take the card, really want my opponent to make a free attack. Well, I can stick Alistair on the card, take the card's effect, and then spend one of his order tokens and move him over to the combat zone, then my opponent can't claim the combat zone. Um, I think he's a little bit more useful than what people give him credit for. His issue might be that Baratheons have some other really, really, really good NCUs and synergies, and so maybe he just doesn't fit in the list. But uh, the other one is Peter Baelish. Um, as Justin mentioned, you can you can either zone block or just get on the zone that you need to get your effect. And in the case of Peter Baelish, you can you can cover the cards from your opponent, or for Justin, you can cover the cards to boost your cards and then take the free attack anyway. But uh, 
those are two NCUs that I really, really, really like. You're starting to see Peter more, not so much Alistair. Uh, what do you think about those two guys? Is, uh, is there merit to them, and are, are you using them to your own advantage, or are you using them to block your opponent from getting the zones that he needs to, to trigger his cards? I use Peter a ton. Uh, he's actually probably like my favorite NCU. He doesn't always work out for me because of the nature of what he does. Uh, but I don't like using Varus too much because I feel like a jerk, and then he fails me a lot. Uh, but Peter, the only thing I struggle with with him is when I want the mail like first round, but I want to draw it twice. And I get real greedy, and it's usually my downfall because it never happens. Because if I take the money and take the mail, my opponent is definitely taking the mail. That that upsets me a lot. Do you have any input on that, Dakota? Have you messed around with Alistair at all? I know you. Yeah, you mix I, lists up, and you got yeah. Yeah, ahead, absolutely. Sorry. In my um, in one of my lists I'm running right now in a tournament, I I have Flora in it. Um, he's you know he's in there if I want to. I like him more on like kind of the Renly side, um, uh, because being able to take two three point NCU's that are pretty good, and him you can keep your NCU cost low to like to still have three if you'd like three, um. But yeah, he's he's really dynamic. People don't think of how good he is. I'm I'm on the same boat as you are, where I wish he had three of them. Um, that way, I could kind of use him more, like more often, I guess. I mean, I feel like I'm using generally using him like rounds two, two, three, four in there is when I'm trying to you know have him come off and and use his stuff. Um, but yeah, in secret mission modes, he he is really good because if you pull you know the one secret mission where you control these two zones you get three points well you're you're gonna score that if you have him and your opponent doesn't have a varus or if they fail that varus um and then in the you know long shot chance that there's two of those because there are multiple you know claiming zones you could potentially score like six points um just because your opponent can't deny you from getting two of them if you set it up right um and then use him to swap you know how to swap on i think he's really good um on the baelish standpoint i am not i've never used him effectively i've thrown him in a few lists to try to combo florent baelish where you know you're sitting on his own and you're hitting this you know i just i don't use him well at all though usually i'm you know yeah go for the wealth hit the tactics and then this and then but like by the middle of the game i'm in a man i really need the combat but i don't want to sit him on his own I want and take it type of situation um, but I mean I think I think Florent is really good though um, I, I, I don't see I think he's maybe one of the better ones you could take really for a Renly side Is there anything that you have to add to the conversation Chris? No as a free folk guy I don't really use these guys ever so I just worry about you know kind of trying to counterplay him, but Peter, he's going to do what he wants to do most of the time, anywho. So, Well, with Lady Val and, and Craster, do you give consideration to uh, blocking the zones that your opponent needs, or, you, or are you generally going for the zones that are going to benefit you, which is basically just the maneuver zone? <laughs> Unless you're running Rattleshirt, I guess. He he procs off of... he gets a, His attachment gets a free charge from the, from the swords, but... Um, I don't think there's any free folk commander outside of that that needs a zone other than the maneuver, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, usually I go for either maneuver or combat right off the bat. 
And then if those other things are available, then I'll use the one, either Crest or Val, to sub it out. But usually very little will I ever consciously go in there and block somebody out of it. Okay. Well, I guess that's kind of a segue into the next question, or I guess the next topic of conversation. There's obviously it's really important to get the zones that you need for, for your tactics deck. Uh, more often than not, it's two zones. There are some exceptions for uh, a commander uh, slash um, faction that needs three zones. I know for sure Tyrion uh, needs the uh, tactic zone and then Lannister and the Lannister tactics deck goes off of the crown and the money bag. So that's three zones that you kind of need to claim to get the best out of all of the cards. That's uh, incredibly hard to do, but uh, are you just in general when you're when you're playing your opponent? Obviously, it's going to be a little bit situational. Are you giving consideration to blocking the zones that your opponent wants, or are you giving the most consideration to the zones that you need? And I guess to start with, I will say that it, um, it of course depends on on the opponent that I'm playing. Uh, if I'm playing Night's Watch and they have Amon, I generally really try to block the bag. Uh, Shield of the Realms of Men is an incredibly oppressive card. I play Night's Watch as well, so I know that when I get the bags with Amon, or, or even if I claim them with another NCU and use Amon later, holding on to the bags while I've got the Shields cards can be the difference in a game that's won or a game that's lost. And then on the other side of that, when I'm playing against Baratheons, I feel like it's really important to claim the letter, and I think maybe I'm just overly afraid of this one card, but Stag's Resilience, I, it's like, it's such a game changer, particularly with Rose Knights, because with Rose Knights, it becomes a D3 plus two situation, right? So they heal D3 plus one, then because they healed, you take an additional wound, so they're effectively healing D3 plus one, dealing you D3 plus two. But that card is, if that unit is engaged with you and you're almost dead, and they control the letter, and they kill your unit with that card at activation, they're free to do another charge action into another unit. And it's like if you don't see that coming, you're not really prepared for that, it's probably going to get you a time or two where your opponent's like going to kill you at activation and they're going to charge another unit, they're going to hit them in the flank, and you're going to be like, well, where did that come from? It's one of those things, you know, you're going to get me with that once, maybe twice, but not anymore. So... I'm really, really, really <clears throat> concerned about them having that zone for some of their cards. Uh, Tyrion as well. When I play against Tyrion, it's like a major point to take the take the uh, tactic zone away from him. As a Tyrion player who's been on both sides of the coin, I know how powerful he gets when you claim when he has letters. And playing against him, I know how everybody who's played against me when I use Tyrion Fields because it really, really sucks. But uh, those are like those are three, and, and I'll ask for you guys to, to add some more, but those are three really strong instances where it's super important to maybe even at the cost of some of your cards getting the benefits to block those zones from your opponent. So I guess I'll start with you, Justin. What, what really comes to mind to you? Uh, instances where you like absolutely have to play to get this zone because your opponent is going to cripple you if he has it. You're asking the neutral player that question? It is 100%. I have to get the mail. Uh, I remember specifically playing uh, Jake from 
I like came down to the indie tournament. Not the last one. Well, actually, both of them. But oh no, it wasn't at the last one. I don't remember. Uh, but he was pretty new the first time I played him, and I ended up kind of smoking him. Um, and then after the game, I was like, all right, next time you play me, here's some hints. And the biggest hint I could give him was really aim for that mail. If you take that, like, that's a huge hindrance to my army. It's incredible how much of a huge hindrance it can be. Uh, and then the next time I played him, me and Dave, we went up to the Iowa tournament, uh, and he smoked me. Like, I was utterly devastated. Like, all the cards I got were all procking off a of mail. So I only got half their effects, which sometimes for some factions, that can be okay. But uh, with neutrals, you really need to cycle through your cards and stuff because that's where you're getting all your power from. And it was it was just utterly devastating. Or the money, if I have a list that uses a lot of brawn or storm crows, oh, that can be real bad too. I'm, I've definitely had games where I bring like six points worth of money needing attachments and if you take the money you're showing off six points and now i'm at a 34 point list that can be pretty devastating yeah i've seen your i've seen your money bag loving list uh yeah if they if they allow you to take the bags it's pretty disgusting um i actually played chris tran who uh you are pretty close with chris aren't you uh dakota yeah absolutely yes yeah so i played against him and he brought Peter Baelish, and he brought those damn bastard girls with uh, with Braun. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like I wanted him to have the money back, but uh, when you've got Peter, it's something that can kind of happen. And, yeah, when they get uh, their, their bonuses from the bags, it's absolutely – I mean, it's already a devastating unit with their deck, but when, when you've got the bag and you can take the free attack, and then when they activate – if you manage to claim the, the tactics as well, throw down, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the card that gives you D3 extra hits or three? Wealth and cunning. Letter? Wealth and cunning. Wealth and cunning. Yeah, yeah so you could theoretically be hitting them with, uh, if you have both of them in your hand, you could be hitting them with 12 plus 8 dice, so 20 dice. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, <laughs> yeah. Um Anyways, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dakota. Go ahead. No, yeah. Yeah, I mean, zone-wise, the three that you mentioned are kind of like the big ones. I mean, you know, kind of just spiraling off that Baratheon deck. They really, I mean, they turn into their their crown and tactic zone. And Renly Lord Paramount kind of, he has wealth and cunning also, so he kind of dips into that third tactic zone on the, um, you know, and even the uh, money bag, the wealth zone. Um, But generally, you know, you just those are the ones that I, I look out for also where you, it's you know, almost like paramount that you need to, you know, stop them. Um, Stag resilience, probably Baratheons and in my argument, maybe one of their best cards um, just because those auto wounds are, they can be devastating to any unit. Um, and it's not even like an, like an attack, you know, you can heal four, they can take four if you have the tactic zone and then attack them. And, you know, you could wipe a, a full unit easily. Um, you know, with the dice lining up for you and, and on the right units. Um, but those are mostly, it. I feel like the, almost like the Starks, like they want the zones, you know, like the, the combat maneuver zone only. They, they're never really a three, a three zone, you know, army, but they can kind of use all of them just because they have that, you know, sudden charge where they can get their benefits. They might not be getting those secondary benefits out of their tactics cards, but, you know, they can just use them wherever they want to. I think it's, um, 
interesting to mention as well, a go down fighting with a mm-hmm. with Ausha. If you have any plans to kill Rickon, and I know that she's not the only person that has that ability, but she's the most popular. If you have any illusions of killing Rickon and getting those points, you really better make sure that you do it in a turn where the Starks do not own the combat zone. Because if you take three D3 wounds from, from Osha on her way out, uh, it's, I've, I've, seen, I've seen Rickon and Osha used as bait just for that reason. Um, I know a lot of people run them in uh, Kranigman, uh because they do the little Aria shot and then they claim the swords. Now you've taken two shots. They almost want you to charge them. Like, here I am. I'm going to shoot you a third time unless you charge me. If you have a, a, a slip of the mind and you charge right in, uh, that might be what kills you is, is go down fighting because you made the choice to charge them. So that's a really scary, uh, scary combination and scary play. I've run Rickon and Osha and Bastards Girls for the same reason. And, yeah, I mean, it was horrible. He was in a horrible spot. Like, he'd just been given a charging volley, and now, I mean, are you going to attack me? I still haven't activated. You can attack me. You might die. Uh, You can heal, but then I'm going to attack you again. Like, what are you really going to do in this situation? Mm -hmm. Pretty nasty. Going off of that a little bit, I just wanted to chime in. I think my favorite, you know, kind of getting that go-down fighting is – putting Rick on OSHA in Berserkers and running him in a Great John list. Um, if you have the right cards, his lash out card, you can theoretically, if you take two, lose two ranks and don't die, you can pass out um, 2D3 plus five wounds um, just through a tactics card and that ability. So that could max out at like 11 wounds just by you attacking them. Um, and, you know, kind of Berserkers, I feel like bait you into attacking them because their defense is so low. But that that's one of my favorite, you know, deadly combos. Totally agree. I think John, I think Great John is underplayed. I think mm-hmm. he Definitely. might be one of those, he's like a meta-busting commander that I think is still being overlooked a little bit because, yeah, you know, like you mentioned, he, like he is the source of auto wounds and lash out is like such a devastating card. It's like, all right, I'm getting in here because, Berserkers, I don't want them charging me, so I'm doing good. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to hurt them, and they hurt me so badly. Mm-hmm. I hurt them. They they hurt me so badly, like taking away my will to even fight. But, yeah, then adding a go-down fighting on top of that, yeah, it's pretty pretty disgusting. So that, that Rick and Osha combo is very powerful. I think in the energy event, I think Brandon and Hodor were still the top chosen, but – but Rick and, Rick and Osha were, were near auto-include for the Stark lists. I think it was like 70% mm-hmm. of Stark lists had Rick and Osha or something like that. So pretty, pretty good value out of that unit. What about you, Chris? I guess you kind of, you kind of gave your answer there earlier. You don't uh, – you play to, to kill. You, you do what you're going to do, and – you don't really care about what your opponent does, right? Ninety-eight percent of the time, yes. The one time I will somewhat try to counter what the opponent is doing is purely if they're using Mel. And being a free folk person, our morale's not very good to begin with. So having her, and then if she's like taking the crown and get like the double bomb on me, I'm not looking for that because that's a unit of gone raiders are 
well, most anything in my army. So that I will try to avoid getting the double bomb. I know I'm going to take the one, but if I can take the crown away so I don't get the double whammy, that I will actually try to do. Are you finding yourself much less afraid of the uh, of the Cersei crown bomb, or does it still impose a little bit of fear? Well, thankfully, most of around here don't really play Lannisters that much, so I don't really have to play against her as much. But, yeah, I just think Mel was or is a little more dangerous than that. And I'll usually give him the crown bomb because that's just one hit as opposed to the two that I would get off of the other one. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. Um, Probably a topic for another day, but uh, when they reworked the panic, I'm of the opinion that it had a lot to do with the Cersei crown bomb being as oppressive as it was. Uh, But I, I think overall the, the Mel bomb is worse. Uh, But I definitely think pre the 1.5 changes, the Cersei bomb was brutal. And that I'd also try to stop now. It's not as bad, but before that was basically like a Mel bomb to me except it's not double whammy, but you're still losing almost as much guys previously. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely pretty nasty. It was just a, it was an interesting choice to kind of take that away. And I think everybody rejoiced for a little while. And then here come Melisandre. (laughs) The calm before the storm. Uh, Looking at the time, we definitely don't have the time to cover every single faction and uh, what zones they want. In fact, we've managed to talk about just a few things for 50 minutes. So uh, to be honest, if there's not anything else that you guys want to touch on, this is a good subject to talk about, but I think it's a difficult subject to, to really give a solid answer to, like we said at the beginning, because there's no, there's no real answer for what's always going to be the best choice. I think the idea of the tactics board is it, is a tactics board. It's tactics. Uh, you have to adapt your tactics and, and your strategies to the situation, and that's the way that you're going to get best. There's there's no one answer. There's no instruction book for using the tactics board. It's playing it for what's best for your situation. As I mentioned, if you've got like a sudden charge and you're planning a really devastating combo, you're probably going to sacrifice some of the other quote-unquote better zones to secure the maneuver zone to make sure that in your big turn, you know, you've got the, you've got the cards that you need are as boosted as they can possibly be. Um, so yeah, it's very situational, but uh, unless you guys want to cover anything else or if there are any final thoughts that you guys have, I'm okay with doing uh, shout outs and closing up. I don't have anything. I'm good. Nope. I'm good. You pretty much summarized everything there. Okay, cool. Um, so does anybody have any shout-outs? Um, Dakota, you can feel free to plug you and Carl a second time. And when we get done with the show, if you'll pass me a link to Carl's store or to you guys' YouTube content, we'll post it on the Small Council Radio uh, page so that they can easily access that and see it for in the future. So definitely, I've played with you and Carl. You guys are both uh, very pleasurable to play with. Uh, 
you guys are fun. You, you experiment with a lot of things. Like I said, you don't necessarily just play the medalist. Uh, so it's a really good time. And you guys are uh, a big reason that I got into TTS to begin with. Uh, you guys in Gamers Haven, you know, you guys pushed me really, really hard to to try TTS, and I'm very, very glad that I did. So. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, we I didn't feel like that that's kind of one of the main ways me and Carl kind of ended up having to play earlier with our differences. But, um, yeah, you can check us out. Check out Rome if you got them on Facebook. Um, you can check out message us if you're interested in any of the dice trays. Um, we have a podcast also. It's mostly we broadcast it through anchor, but we're on most of the major channels out there. Um, Spotify. Um, I think it's Apple play. Um, everybody knows where they can find them at. Um, and then shout out wise, I'll shout out to Brandon at gamers Haven. He's just an awesome, uh, you know, he owns a store up there. He does a great job for all those guys up there and he really works hard um, to get them what they need. Yeah, that's Grumpy Grandpa on the Discord, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Grumpy Grandpa or Mr. Haven, yes. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Uh, do you have any shout-outs, Justin, Chris? Nope, not nope. me. Neither him. Okay. We're, we're, we got nothing. We're nothing. So, so I'll just stop, drop two really quick plugs then. Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire Guild, uh, we actually – wrote an article uh, covering this exact subject. So if you want some of these, basically the coverage of this podcast in written form, maybe a little bit more in depth, there is an article on the a Song of Ice and Fire Guild. We do have um, a lot of content, and we're going to continue pushing that content. Uh, again, for those of you that don't know, the Song of Ice and Fire Guild is basically um, a number of content creators that collaborate on big monthly drops to get some of the tactics articles and battle reports and things of this nature out to the community. So if you haven't checked it out yet, feel free to check it out. Chris from Mythicos has built a beautiful website for the guild, and all of that content is there. Uh, very easy to navigate, very easy to find. And additionally, I'll just drop a plug for Carlo from A Song of Ice and Fire Stats. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of tournaments going on all the time. Um, if you're interested in getting some competitive games in and you can't do it at your local game store yet, or you maybe you don't have a, a meta with a lot of players, definitely log on to a Song of Ice and Fire stats. All you need is an email, create a profile. Uh, if you play games, record them. All it does is help him uh, gather some more data and, and, you know, kind of prove some of the trends and prove what seems to be working, what seems to be not working, and uh, all of that is recorded in statistical form. But uh, additionally, once you're on there, you can pretty much navigate through any of those tournaments. Some of them, like some of the French tournaments and the German tournaments are like French and German only, so those guys might not speak English, or um, you know, if you're from another country and, and you're not comfortable with your English speaking, you might want to make sure you know, and talk to the TO to see what your opponent's time zone is and what language they're mainly speaking to make sure that that's not a, a hiccup for your games. But other than that, almost all of them are open for anybody to join and put yourself out there, have fun, play, but definitely check out the stats page and, uh, yeah, see, see where you can get yourself ranked among some of the, uh, some of the other players around the world. But, uh, with that and all of the shout-outs done, this is Small Council, and it is dismissed.